All right. So tonight, the plan is to do uh, uh, test. This is the sixth of the prakim, which we do as part of Kabbalah Shabbos. Uh, the one which is before Anubachach, the last of the full paragraphs, which we say, uh, leading up to Lecha Dodi. And this is the one which we mentioned last week, is considered by the Arizal to be very profound thing to go ahead and say and to share as one is about to enter into Shabbos. It's a little bit curious in that uh, it seems to be that the practice was in the past, that they would say Kabbalah Shabbos early enough that by the time they got to either the last section of L'Chadodi or the paragraph of Mizmar Shili Yom HaShabbos, which is the parak that we say after L'Chadodi, that that was still technically before Shkia. And that's why the poskim spend a lot of time talking about um, how, um, that with the recitation of some of those paragraphs, that's when Shabbos commences, even though it's not yet Shkia. So those who are familiar with the, uh, the practice, that when there is an avil in shol, an avil meaning somebody who's in the middle of shiva, so after l'cha dodi, before we say mizmor shili yom shabbos, so the avil walks in, because he doesn't say the rest of the uh, Kabbalah shabbos, he walks in at that point, and as the tzibur says, So for most shuls now, where they go ahead and they say mincha, let's say 10 minutes before shkia, that's when mincha is called, so by the time they get to the Chadodi, it's already after Shkia. So really, we shouldn't be saying Hamalki Minachem at that point, because we don't do Nichum Avelim, we don't do comforting of mourners on Shabbos. So it was always a little bit curious to me why we have this practice to do something about um, uh, of uh, saying Hamalki Minachem Esrach Shalayim when it's already Shabbos and it's already too late. But then it occurred to me that they used to say it early enough that it wasn't yet even Shkia by the time they got to that point. And the Hamakri Minachem is the last thing that they would say, which was Choldik, uh, which was from the weekday. And then after they would say Hamakri Minachem, then immediately they would go into Shabbos. And they would begin Mizmor Shili Yom Shabbos. And they would go ahead and they would say that capital and formally accept, uh, accept Shabbos. So it's a, it, it's a curious type of thing. But that's what, uh, but that's what, so this one, however, this paragraph, which we say now, is the last, this corresponds to day sixth of creation. And this is the one which we're going to go with the approach that this is being said, uh, this is talking about God's greatness, primarily, as we'll see, around Matan Torah. Some understand this in slightly different context. But also, if you remember, that when it comes to Shabbos, so Shabbos, we remember three different Shabbases. Over the course of Shabbos, we think about three different Shabbases. There's three significant Shabbases in the history of the Jewish people. One is Shabbos Bracious. That's the Shabbos that corresponds to creation. That's when HaKadosh Baruch that's when we do Friday night. That was the first Shabbos. That's why Friday night, specifically, we say the paragraph of Vayichulu, because Vayichulu commemorates the fact that God created six days and then he, he stopped creating as he went into Shabbos. Shabbos morning commemorates the second of the three significant Shabbases in Jewish history, which was the Shabbos of Matan Torah. So that's why we mentioned Moshe Rabbeinu over there, uh, over there specifically, Moshe Rabbeinu's greatness. And then by Mincha, skip Musaf, but by Mincha we go ahead and we mention 
uh, we think about the Shabbos of the future, the Yom Shekulo Shabbos, that's going to be in Gan Eden when the world is is entirely Shabbos. The whole world's existence is going to be is going to be that of uh, of Shabbos. So we go ahead and we remember those three things. So here, as we are entering into Shabbos, so this one should corresponds either to creation, one of the two significant Shabbos, or it could be the middle one, and we're going to go with the middle one uh, approach. So the parak begins as follows. And we, there's all sorts of songs, there's all sorts of repetition, uh, and everybody knows from their own experience that when there's a lot of repetition, usually that's indicative of a song. That's usually or 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 poem or something like that, where there's a, a a section which is a refrain, something that we keep saying again and again in order to emphasize and drive home a uh, a particular point. So this uh, paragraph uh, is uh, emphasizes that. So it begins as follows: Mizmol David Havul Hashem B'nei Elim Havul Hashem Kavod Vaos. So Havul Hashem. No, we're not we're not seeing it. Do you have it up on your screen, or were you just telling us? Uh, I'm sorry, I was supposed to go ahead and. Now it's um, there. Yes. Yeah. We now have to move me. Okay, sorry. Got excited by the introduction. I forgot to move it. Mizrael David. So this is a song for David. We ascribe to Hashem the sons of mighty. We'll define that in a moment. And we're going to ascribe to Hashem glory and strength. So the first thing is, and I don't, I, I told you last week that we don't have the Malbim's commentary over here, but the word Havu, so the Malbim explains that it's a, a language of preparation. Get yourself ready to go ahead and to... Uh, uh, to, to do something significant, or Rashi explains that it's a language of giving. So we're going to give props to Hashem. That's really what this uh, would mean in 21st uh, terminology. And we're going to go ahead, and who are the people who are going to be praising God, who are preparing themselves to uh, to praise God? So these are the B'nai Elim. Who exactly are the B'nai Elim? So many of the Mepharshim say that these are the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the descendants, really, of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, who are referred to as mighty people due to their character and due to their contribution to the, uh, to the Jewish people. So they're considered to be mighty and powerful people. The Radak and the Me'iri say that. Or people say that the word Elim may be connected to the name of God in the sense that we are uh, like the Pasuk says in Dvarim, that you are children to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the B'nai Elim would be the children of God, as it were, which is a, a collective reference to, uh, to Klai Yisrael. Now there's a Sefer, which I have in this sitter in front of me. He quotes his files. I'll read you what he says. It's a parish called Meir Tehilos. I'm not familiar with the other uh, Sefer. He says, Shapirish Bofen Nifla. He explains in this amazing way, there's a huge difference in terms of praise between somebody who's a regular average person praising somebody and somebody who is um, uh, 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 himself excels in that particular field. So if I say somebody's a great doctor, that doesn't mean much because what do I know about medicine? But if a doctor says he's a great doctor, that already means a lot more. 
And if a doctor in that specialty says he's a great doctor, so that means even more because that person has the experience and the know-how and the uh, the familiarity with the subject to when, that when that person says so-and-so is an expert, so that actually means something. So it says, that if you go ahead and you describe somebody as powerful, so that's meaningful, when it's said by somebody who's strong. And the same thing is going to be true, that if somebody who's a Tamil Chacham describes somebody else as a Tamil Chacham, so then you know it's authentic, you know it means something, because it's somebody who knows what they're talking about. So therefore, when it says, that middle line, which is highlighted, so ascribe to Hashem, the sons of, of mighty, meaning, that Klai Yisrael, who are the descendants of the great people, you are the ones who should give praise to God, because when you give praise to God, from those people who are close to God and know what it means in terms of what God has done, it's a lot more than somebody who is very distant from God. And then we say, So how are we going to go ahead? How are the B'nai Elin, how are Klayusa going to uh, uh, praise God? It's going to be specifically kavod va'oz. Kavod va'oz means that it's going to be with praise and it's going to be honor and with strength. And the Radak says that we're just, we're emphasizing things. We're sort of being repetitive already, just as a way of emphasizing the, uh, the point. But here this Sefer says, kavod va'oz correspond to chesed and gvura, kindness and strength, the two fundamental traits which exist. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu in that, uh, in that regard. So what does that mean? So we say, mitzad echad, so on the one hand, we're going to assign to God the appropriate honor, for all of the goodness and all of the positive things which he um, generates energy into this world. Mitzad sheni, and then not only do we see uh, God as being worthy of honor, but we also recognize his strength. That's the O's, meaning, that the, everybody in the world, everybody in the universe, has awe and reverence before God. That he demonstrates as he exercises his power and his strength against those who would violate his will. So here, what we're framing is that this is going to be a praise which Klai Yisrael is going to sing Baruch Hu, specifically around the topics of Kavod Va'oz, his honor and his strength, or as we said, it may very well be his Chesed and his Gvura. Then we continue, and we say, Havu Lashem Kivod Shemo, that we're going to give honor, uh, we're going to give to Hashem honor, the honor of his name. We're going to worship Hashem, we're going to bow down to Hashem, Kodesh, in the beauty of holiness. And here specifically, we go ahead and we say that it's going to be that this is honor, this is uh, a respect, which is due to his name, which is elevated and above everything else which exists. And we're going to sub, uh, sub, subjugate ourselves to uh, to Hashem with the beauty or of, of uh, the uh, what you would expect for somebody who is uh, awesome in terms of their holiness and their being uh, distinct. 
So it's not just the fact that we are afraid of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's strength, but we see it as something which is a beautiful dimension of his existence. So acknowledging that beautiful dimension of his existence, the Kedusha, Kol Hashem al Hamayim, Kel HaKavod Hirim, Hashem Amayim Rabim. So Hashem's voice is upon the waters. So what waters are we referring to over here? So here, Mepharshim say that the waters that we're referring to over here is the water by Kriyas Yamsuf. So that's a, so this is an Exodus and a Mount Torah themed uh, paragraph, parak, where that when Hashem's voice uh, was revealed on the water, and a lot of this also is voice related because it's Mount Torah, that's when we actually heard God's voice. So when Hashem's voice was heard over the waters, as Baruch Hu split the sea, uh, Kavod Hirim, so the God of glory thunders. And this is when the Hakarish Baruch Hu, uh, also revealed himself with his honor and with his, uh, his power. Hirim, so he made everything shake. That's the thunders. Everything was moving and everything was, uh, w- was shaking. At the time, Hashem Amayim Rabim, at the ten, at the, the moment when Hakarish Baruch Hu went ahead and revealed himself on those waters. And it was at that time that there was this universal recognition of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, his power and his connection to Klai Yisrael. And we say that the, the Radak explains that according to Chazal, that we, down here, that according to Chazal, this mimer, this paragraph, or this section has to do with Matan Torah, as we said, and the voice of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that came out from heaven, that emerged from the, uh, the heavens, was so powerful that, the, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to dull it first. We couldn't hear the voice coming directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu into our ears. That would have been overwhelming, and we wouldn't have been able to, uh, to manage that. So the first thing HaKadosh Baruch Hu did is he took his voice and went on the waters. The waters absorbed a lot of that power, a lot of that. And then... Uh, only after it went through the waters. So as we said, that was like a filter which allowed it to ultimately be able to reach our ears, which we're going to talk about more in a, in a little bit. And, uh, right. Then, call Hashem B'Koach, that uh, at the time of Mount Torah, now we shift over to Mount Torah. So we heard Hashem's strong voice, that is, uh, but obviously in a manner in which we are going to be able to manage listening to that sound. And the Medrash says, it's a fascinating Medrash. I don't know, you know, the, the exact shot of the Medrash, but it's an interesting Medrash to, uh, either way. So it says that the, uh, the Medrash points out, it doesn't say, Kol Hashem B'Kocho, that the voice of Hashem with his strength, it says, Kol Hashem B'Koach. So why did we take off the possessive part of it and just said it was strong, rather than saying that the sound of the voice possessed his strength? So the Medrash says, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu used Kocho, HaKadosh Baruch Hu went ahead and used his strength and his power to express himself. So the world would not be able to survive. We would have just collapsed under the, uh, the power of it. Rather, the Pasuk says, Davra Melech says, that it was Hashem's strength in power, meaning, that every person heard a sound which they would be able to tolerate. 
So the young man heard a stronger sound, the elderly heard a softer sound, and the children heard a softer sound than that. But everybody experienced a strong sound, but it was, everybody had the dial set slightly differently up to what they would be able to, uh, to handle. And Rashi says a similar type of thing. So it's kol Hashem b'koach, kol Hashem b'hadar, and the voice of Hashem was filled with majesty, was, uh, was filled with honor and respect. Um, in other words, the Radak here explains as well. So it's highlighted there. Because want to make sure that Klai Yisrael would not die from the strong sound, right, the strong sound of the voice. So so this is repeating what we had said before, that to make sure that it wouldn't be too overwhelming and too powerful a song, which we wouldn't be able to tolerate. So Baruch Hu went ahead and had the voice first go over the water, through the water, over the water, on the water, I'm not sure which one, but he used the water in order to weaken the strength of the sound. And then once it was weakened and it was tolerable, so then the sound goes ahead and hits us and we're able to hear it and absorb it and, and appreciate it and, and, and uh, uh, have awe and reverence for the beauty of the sound. So, because that way we're able to tolerate the sound. So, all of this did so that we would have a positive experience hearing his sound, hearing his voice, without being overwhelmed by it. Then we say, Kol Hashem Shove Arazim. So the first part of this pasuk is that the sound of Hashem's voice, it breaks the cedars. And you could either say it's referring to that the cedar tree is usually used in Tanakh as a way of uh, representing, of expressing something which is strong. Cedar trees, I guess, were known to be very strong wood. And therefore, if something could break a cedar tree, that's obviously indicative of something which is even stronger than a strong cedar. But Rashi brings the Medrash over here that says that um, that Amalem Moshe Hashem says to uh, uh, yeah, sorry, that um, that the, he went that the the, the Arazim, not Rashi yet. The Arazim, according to some of the Mephorshim, is the fact that Hakash Baruch Hu went ahead and he broke and he killed the nations of the world, which are sometimes they appear very strong and mighty. And therefore, but Hakash Baruch Hu is always going to be stronger than them. And he is going to break even the mighty ones who would be compared to the uh, to the uh, the cedar tree. So that's one dimension of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the sound of his voice, just the sound of his voice is going to be able to, uh, to do. And Rashi goes ahead and quotes a Medrash, well, based on the Pasuk in, I think, Vashanon, uh, um, uh, either the end of Dvarim or the beginning of Vashanon, Ki mi where Moshe Rabbeinu says to Klai Yisrael, what other nation was able to hear the coal was able to hear the voice of Hashem speak from the midst of the fire at the time of Matan Torah. And the matter says that this emphasizes that you, Klal Yisrael, you heard Hashem's voice and you were able to survive that experience. 
we died twice, but he brought us back to life, but we're able to ultimately survive. But when it comes to the idolaters of the world, whatever it is that they would hear, that would cause them to de- die, and that would be a, a permanent death. Then he says, Some of the idolaters died immediately upon hearing God's voice. And some of them didn't die immediately, but it was such a powerful sound of Hashem's voice, which they heard, that it's something which weakened them, and they continuously deteriorated until eventually they died from that. But this is something that the very sound of God's voice is something which is so powerful and so overwhelming that it was able to break the cedars, is able to break the wicked of this world, the wicked nations of the world. Then the Pasa continues, by Shaber Hashem es Arze Halavanon. And Hashem at that time was also able to go ahead and break the uh, the theaters of Le- uh, of Lebanon of Lebanon, and this is which uh, even amongst theaters, the ones of Lebanon are known to be the most powerful of them. I'm pretty sure that when Shlomo HaMelech needed wood for the Beis Hamikdash, that he specifically imported the uh, the Arze Lebanon that wood because that would be the hardiest and that would be the strongest of woods. Now at the same time. Pasuk says, that he went ahead and he made them jump like calves. So imagine calves, I don't know if calves are necessarily known to be the most nimble and the most quick and the ones that jump the most, but certainly they would jump faster than any of us, a, a, a young calf. But the idea over here is, is that we certainly would not expect that a tree, and certainly not a tree as strong as a cedar tree would be jumping around. In our perspective, that would probably be like saying like redwoods are jumping around because nothing is bigger or stronger than uh, the mighty redwood. So this is something which HaKadosh Baruch Hu was able to cause the mighty Arazim to go ahead and jump around as if they were little calves, just bouncing around wherever they do, like the cow jumped over the moon, something along those lines. And Levanon Vesirion, and as well as uh, the Mepharshim say that this is referring to uh, mountains. There's a mountain called Levanon. There's a mountain called Sirion. And they also went ahead and they jumped. Kamo ven They jumped like a young wild ox. So they also have this amazing energy as a result, or amazing fear, which they experience as a result of what's, uh, what's going on. But they were able to do things as a result of Hashem's voice, which is completely uncharacteristic something which is out of nature, which is out of, uh, uh, out of context entirely. And then, not only is the voice of Hashem something which is so powerful and so strong that it's able to make these large, immovable objects go ahead and jump around as if they are little, uh, little goats or little calves or small oxen, but kol Hashem, kotsev lavosech, that the, the sound of Hashem's voice is something which divides the flame of a fire. And that is, and that's a, a reference to Mepharshim say, that the sound of Hashem's voice was also powerful, that it was able to inscribe the luchos themselves. So if you think of it like uh, they have those powerful, um, uh, it's like a jet of water, which is able to cut things which are very strong, you're able to concentrate it in such a way when it, in, in, it, it expels with such force that it's able to cut through things. So in the same way that Hashem's fire, the sound of his voice is something which is so powerful 
that he was able to uh, divide the flames of the fire and be able to direct it that the, uh, the stones of the luchos themselves, the way that they were inscribed was as if it were a fire coming out of God's mouth. So that's what Hashem's voice was able to, uh, to, uh, to achieve, to accomplish. Then again, Kol Hashem Yachil Midbar. So Hashem's voice uh, shakes the very wilderness itself, that the entire wilderness, the entire land uh, was, uh, was, was moving. Yachil Hashem Midbar Kadesh. And Hashem's voice was went ahead and was able to, the entire Midbar Sinai, the entire wilderness of the Sinai, would shake because of the Kedusha, the Midbar Kadesh. is not just that it's the area of Sinai, but it was from the, sorry, the wilderness of Kadesh, that it was something which would shake as a result of the Kedusha of Klal Yisrael. That at the time of Mount Torah, as it were, HaKadosh Baruch Hu went ahead and he took some of his Kedusha, he took some of his sanctity and his holiness, and he bestowed that he downloaded it upon us, and as a result of that, we possess now, Kedoshim Tiyu, we possess this element or this trait of Kedusha. And because we now possess this trait of Kedusha, so that's why everything was shaking as we were, uh, as we traveled. Now, at this point, we shift from the Matan Torah, from the experience of Shabbos by uh, Matan Torah. And now the remainder of this paragraph goes that in shifts to what we, exp- what we will experience in the future. So here we say, Kol Hashem Yecholel Ayalos, that the sound, the voice of Hashem makes hinds to calf. So what exactly does that mean? So it says that the the nations of the world, which are strong and are sometimes um, uh, are equated with these animals that jump around this aisle, which, uh, which jumps around, so the sound of Hashem is going to make them go ahead and that's uh, going to awaken them. And it's going to put, it's going to instill this tremendous fear inside of them. Here, if you notice that this is Ayalos. At the beginning, we said B'nai Elim. Now we're talking about, which is in the male. Now we're talking Ayalos, which is, which is female. Rashi says that the, I don't know what, the, in this animal, in this species of animal, so you can tell the difference between male and female by the structure of their legs, by the anatomic, uh, anatomical structure of their legs, that the legs of the females are more straight than the, uh, the males. Um, yeah, okay. And then, And in the sound of Hashem is also going to Strip the forest bare, and it's going to reveal the forest and their destruction is going to be uh, that there's going to be this this emptiness, probably similar to what we're seeing in terms of the pictures which are coming out of Gaza. So you're going to have you may have had a whole forest, you may have had a whole neighborhood of buildings there, but now it's been uprooted and it's just left on the ground, and there's nothing which which really remains, and that's going to be the nations uh, who are equated with forests at sometimes. And they'll be uh, they'll be left without their uh, their covering. In other words, the way uh, the Meir explains is yikalef es atze hayar. It's not even necessarily that the trees are going to be uprooted; they're going to be felled, but rather the trees will all lose their bark. They're going to the their bark, yeah, the outside, not 
bark roof roof, but bark meaning the outside of the tree, because kolomer, in other words, yafshit mechubadam mechvodam es agoyim hamashum l'ase hayar. The Meiri says that the nations of the world, which at times are equated with a forest, so they're going to be stripped of their honor. They try and present themselves as powerful and mighty, and they uh, they posture themselves in all sorts of different ways. But in its time in the future, when Hashem reveals Himself, so then we'll see that they really have nothing. It was just uh, a, uh, a an external shell or an external uh, outfit which they were wearing, but it doesn't really represent any strength which they have. Uh, right, and then and in his sanctuary, Kula uh, Omer Kavod, everybody speaks of Hakadosh Baruch Hu's glory. And here, the Radak says, that when the mighty uh, theaters fall, the, the the nations which present themselves as powerful, when they fall, so this is where the forests are going to be stripped bare as well. And then after that happens, that we find the cedars falling and we find forests which are stripped bare. Then it says that in his sanctuary, everybody is going to ascribe honor to Hashem. That is Bahar Sinai. So the Radak understands that this is referring to the event of Har Sinai. And during the event, during the time that Matan Torah was taking place, the nations of the world thought that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was such a powerful sound and it was so scary to them that they were certain that the world is collapsing. Just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu did in the Mabu, that he went ahead and he brought a uh, the rains, which went ahead and flooded the world and it caused mass destruction everywhere. So the sounds were what they imagined would have been the sounds at the time of the Mabu. So that's why they're so petrified over what the what what goes on, uh, because they were uh, they were certain that there was the, uh, the there was the end of the universe as they knew it, the end of the world as they knew it. Hashem l'mabul yashav, v'yeshu Hashem melech leolam. Then we say that Hashem, at the time of the mabul, right when Hakadosh Baruch Hu, at that at that point in history when Hakadosh Baruch Hu did go ahead and destroy mankind other than Noach and his family, but Hashem la mabul yashav. So what was Hashem doing at that time? So during that time of the Mabul, Hashem, in a sense, had no competition at all. There was nobody else to claim that they were the ones who were in charge because everything was uh, everything was gone. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu was by himself on his throne. Vayeshev Hashem Melchilam. And therefore, just like at that time of the Mabul, it was clear to everybody that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was the Melech, was the king, and the throne is his exclusively, and there are no other powers in the world. So too, at this time in the future, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu reveals himself, Vayeshev Hashem, so Hashem will also, future tense, he will sit, Hashem Melech Le'olam, he's going to sit as the king forever in a similar type of, uh, in a similar type of way. And here, uh, the, the Radak says, that at that time went ahead, and the reason why they, there was really no reason to fear was because at the time of the Mabul, Akash Baruch Hu promised that he's not going to destroy the world anymore. And the, the sound which the nations are hearing at that time, that is the sound that, that we're hearing at the time where Akash Baruch Hu was giving the Torah to Klai Yisrael. 
which is interesting. It's a fascinating thing to think about, which I haven't fully th- thought through as of yet. But the sound that Klaiso is hearing, the sound that's being heard around the world at the time of Mount Torah, is the sound of Hashem's voice when he promised never to destroy the world again. So I'm imagining, just superficially, without giving it much, uh, much uh, depth of thought, but I'm imagining that at the time of Mount Torah, everybody really, all the nations of the world should have been on board, and they should have said, we want to join too. Right, right before Mount Torah, they were offered the Torah, and they said, what's written in it? Nah, we can't hold that halacha. We can't hold that halacha. That's something which is going to be too hard for you. Have you ever had a shrimp cocktail? How can I go ahead and give up my shrimp cocktail? So the nations of the world went ahead and refused it. And at that time, when they made a formal refusal to accept the Torah, that should have been a time where Kosh Baruch says, okay, if you guys don't want the Torah when I'm giving it, we've, we've waited 2,448 years since creation to give the Torah. We're finally at that moment of giving the Torah which is the entire purpose of creation. And at this time, when you have an opportunity to embrace it and to accept it and to subject yourself to the Torah and you're rejecting it, really what should have happened is when they rejected Akash Baruch should have said, okay, go on with you all. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to destroy the world. The only reason that didn't happen was because in the generation of the flood, Akash Baruch made a promise that he's not going to destroy the world. So hearing the sound of Hashem's voice make that promise drives home the point that the nations of the world really deserve to be destroyed at that time. And the only thing which was keeping them alive was that promise which Hashem made. But that's enough to be frightening. That's enough to realize that uh, you're this close to being uh, to, to destruction. And it's only because of God's goodwill and his commitment that he's not going to destroy the world that he didn't go ahead and do so. Then the Mitsudas David says, he explains that he... Uh, just like when there was the flood, Hashem was sitting all by himself. He was on the throne by himself. Because everything was washed away. It was flooded away. And it was clear at that point that he is the ruler over everything. So similarly, as we said, future tense. In other words, the same thing is going to happen during the time of Mashiach. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to sit on his throne exclusively. And it's not just that he's not going to share his throne with somebody else, but that's uh, expressive of the recognition that nothing else compares to God even close. And everybody at that time is going to recognize, is going to acknowledge that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who is the ruler over everything which uh, which exists, and uh, the uh, some of them for sure explain that this praise going back to the to the pasuk, this phrase that Hashem is going to rule forever, this is going to happen that they read all four of these lines together. That this is the fra- the praise which the nations of the world are going to sing to God at, in the future in the Beis Hamikdash, and they're going to recognize that. That uh, that Akash Baruch Hu's, uh, his malchus is so solidified and so strong and so powerful and so recognized the same way that during the time of the Mabul it was clearly recognized because there's nothing else. So it's at that time that there's going to be this experience, even from the nations of the world, of Ein Od Milvado, that there's nothing else other than Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So that obviously is going to be a very powerful uh, moment. 
And um, yeah, and then we say, final pasuk says, Hashem owes la'amo yitain. So Hashem gives strength to his people. That uh, that the, the and some uh, explain that owes over here isn't just power, but it's referring to the Torah. That Hakadosh Baruch Hu, as He gives us the Torah, so this is what gives us our strength. This is what gives us our our, our power. And Hashem Shalom. And with that, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is going to bless Klal with, uh, with 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 peace. In other words, that this is referring to the everlasting peace, not just a ceasefire where there's a pause in between the uh, the uh, what's going on, but this is going to be everlasting peace after which, during which, and afterwards, that there will never be any uh, any more war. And over here, the Radak explains that he explains also that the uh, the strength over here is referring to the to the Torah, and this is how we go ahead and we see, as we said, that this is how we, in a sense take ourselves into Shabbos at the end of the sixth day of creation as we go into Shabbos. So this is, we are on the verge of this recognition, this universal recognition of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the Borei Olam. If you remember, everything about Shabbos is a recognition. It's a testimony to the fact that God is the creator of the universe. And as we go into and being the creator of the universe, we want there to be this uh, universal recognition of this fact that God is the creator of the universe. That's why we say Vayichlu together with another person as a way of giving testimony to uh, to that idea. So as we're about to go into Shabbos and everything about Shabbos is that recognition. So that's why the paragraph that we say, uh, uh, the last paragraph that we say as part of our weekday is the one which puts us in a sense during Ben Hashmashos. It puts it in that twilight uh, time where we're finishing off the weekday, we're entering into Shabbos, and therefore we're thinking very much about Shabbos is a time when Yom Shekulotov, it's a time when everything is going to be good, and we know that in order to be able to receive any bracha, that uh, the, the Mishnah at the end of Shas says that in order, the, the best receptacle which is going to be able to contain any bracha which HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to give a person is going to be shalom, is going to be, is going to be peace. So the culmination of this uh, this uh, this paragraph and the way the um, uh, Chachamim structured Kabbalah Shabbos is that we should end the Shabbos with this opportunity to go ahead and connect very powerfully with the greatness and the power of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, both from the perspective of creation as well as the perspective of Matan Torah. And then with that, we foresee what's going to come in the future, which is going to be that universal recognition of God, which really should have been part of that first Shabbos, had Adam and Chava not gone ahead and sinned. But we're still looking forward to be able, being able to enter into that Yom Shukulo Shabbos, that, uh, that era where everything is Shabbos. And when we reach that time, so then we will receive the ultimate bracha, the ultimate blessing in this world, Hashem Samova Shalom, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to bless Klai Yisrael with peace, and that allows us to be able to experience all of the brachas. And that's why this, as I said, that's why this is the last words which we say at the end of the week, because now as we enter into Shabbos, we want to experience and be able to enjoy all of the brachas, which are a part of Shabbos, and the way we're going to be able to enjoy all the brachas, which are a part of Shabbos, is specifically through this trait, which we call Shalom. All righty.
Okay, so 